lot of you listening out there. Way to go. You made it through. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. I am. From the Pacific Radio Network, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in Santa Barbara on 98.7 FM, San Diego's 93.7, and Ridgecrest and China Lake, California's 99.5 FM. Also in California on KFOI in Red Bluff and Redding and KKRN in Round Mountain. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, up in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us. For another thrilling edition of the broadcast, uh, we were out of town all weekend. Was there any news of note in Southern California, Desi Doyen? Did I we, think there was a little. Did we miss any? What? <laughs> did? Yes, there was. Quite a bit, actually. In fact, we were and are out of town, as luck or coincidence would have it. As uh, I believe I had mentioned in passing a couple of weeks ago, some construction is being done on the roof of the building that houses our studio. And it's going to be ongoing for like two weeks or more, so we are told, which will uh, make it impossible to work out of there. So we bugged out to another state for a bit, barely missing the storm as it rolled in, and we rolled out on our long-ago, apparently well-timed, pre-scheduled bug-out. That's both good and bad, as Hurricane Hillary and the earthquake that accompanied it, naturally... Uh, were both stories that I'd like to have been there for, frankly, but but I wasn't. And in any event, uh, thanks to all of those who sent uh, sent us well wishes via email to bradcast at bradblog.com and on Twitter and elsewhere at the Bradblog. We are doing fine. Uh, well, I am. I don't know. Desi's a little <laughs> shook up. But uh, we survived the storm and, uh, frankly, hardly even noticed it. <laughs> But uh, but there was uh, certainly something to notice, as oh, you may have noticed. Uh, quote, we basically 
blew all of our previous rainfall records out of the water. National Weather Service meteorologist Elizabeth Adams in San Diego told AP in Palm Springs, for example, the inundation from a downgraded Hurricane Hillary shattered the daily record of 0.21 inches of rain set in 2003. That's the record, 0.21 inches of rain. On Sunday in Palm Springs, they got 3.18 inches Mm. of rain in one single day. The center of Hillary passed over downtown Los Angeles at 7 p.m. on Sunday night, according to the regional weather office, which called it, quote, a day for the ages in uh, Southern California, which, of course, is what I was so concerned about when I covered then-Hurricane Hillary in such detail on last Thursday's show when it seemed that no one else had really seemed to notice it at that point. Yeah, it spun up very fast. It did, and uh, and, and what it was you know happening, where it was most likely headed, and then I kind of went to bed that night wondering, oh, God, did I spend too much time covering that story, only to wake up on Friday and see that everyone had noticed it by yes. then and was covering it. So uh, we got a bit of a jump on that. Uh, good. Uh, hopefully that all helped people uh, keep people safe. No significant injuries have been reported from the storm, at least in Los Angeles. Areas of the desert outside of L.A. were not and uh, and are not quite as lucky. But L.A. City Council President Paul Krikorian told a news conference on Monday that, quote, Los Angeles was tested, but we came through with minimal impacts considering what we endured. Desi, you've got uh, some more today on that news conference on Monday morning with uh, members of the city council as well as L.A. Mayor Karen Bass. Yes, and also L.A. Fire Department and other uh, agency officials who Mm -hmm. were in charge of the emergency response. So at that press conference on Monday morning, L.A. Mayor Karen Bass delivered an update on the emergency response to the storm. She praised the city's coordinated interagency emergency response system and the preparation and dedication of all the first responders. Responders and the Angelinos, she said, for heeding all of the officials' warnings and preparing for the storm and helping each other throughout. This was a coordinated, collaborative approach, and reports thus far indicate that as of right now, there have not been any deaths or significant risk of injury. The city mobilized, including opening the most emergency temporary shelters for unhoused Angelinos to provide relief from extreme weather since 2020, and we will continue to address these issues. Now, it's not to say that many Angelinos have been, not been impacted by this storm, whether they woke up without power or were unable to get through streets due to flooding and mudslides. Our commitment to you is that we will, repro- we will approach our recovery with the same intensity as we approached our preparation. As skies clear, the Department of Water and Power crews have already mobilized to return power to Angelinos. If you approach a traffic signal that is not operational, treat it as a stop sign. If a traffic officer is at the location, heed their instructions. Crews are working to bring these signals back online as we speak. As you know, sometimes damage can occur in the hours and days after a storm hits. So Angelinos should continue to stay vigilant. The city family will continue working around the clock to respond, and we will need your help. 
you pull everybody together, you prepare for the worst, and you hope for the best. And so the fact that it wasn't the catastrophe that had been anticipated, we are very happy about. But had it been, I have the full confidence that our city, our city family was prepared to respond. Now, beyond that, L.A. City Fire Department Chief Kristen Crowley said that the impacts from the remnants of Tropical Storm Hillary are ongoing. And on Monday, officials asked folks to please stay off the roads unless absolutely necessary to give uh, space for power and street repair crews and first responders to do their jobs. Um, uh, uh, Fire Chief Crowley also warned that saturated hillsides still pose a threat of landslides, as do trees and power lines that are still vulnerable and could still topple. And uh, they say if you've got to travel, then please be extra careful on the roads and slow down because some road closures are still in effect. So you got to check local conditions. And as we go to air, the biggest impacts, as you say, mm-hmm. appear to have been in the high desert areas, especially Palm Springs Valley. Uh, you know, 911 service was knocked out. Um, Interstate 10 was closed in both directions. Uh, that's going to be ongoing until they're able to clean it up. Um, and the fire chief of Cathedral City, which is near Palm Springs, yeah. uh, says it'll take time for for floodwaters to recede and crews to clear the mudslides and debris from the roads. And about 150 miles of Highway 395 on the eastern side of the Sierra Nevada mountains up through Bishop has been closed. 150 miles of that. So make One sure of my you, favorite roads, by yeah, the way. It's a beautiful way, road. Yeah. It's closed right now. Yep. Schools in the L.A. Unified District School District were closed Monday, and they will reopen for regular school on Tuesday. And officials also reminded folks to please stay out of the ocean. Stormwater drains in L.A. and Ventura counties dump directly into the ocean, and that stormwater is contaminated Ooh. with a toxic stew of dangerous bacteria and chemicals and trash and God knows what all. Yep. So they say to wait 72 hours before venturing into the water. Speaking of uh, Palm Springs, the uh, Palm Springs uh, PD in that uh, statement about 911 lines being down, they said that in the event of an emergency, residents should text 911 or reach out to the nearest police or fire station. Yeesh, good Mm. luck texting 911. That's kind of scary. Nonetheless, as skies were clearing on Monday, at least in California, the National Weather Service warned of flooding underway in parts of Clark County in Nevada, about 40 miles west of Las Vegas. Forecasters said the threat for flooding in states farther north on Monday was highest across much of southeastern Oregon. Hello, Oregon. Pay attention. Uh, And into the west central mountains of Idaho. Meanwhile... Over in the Caribbean, Tropical Storm Franklin churned on Monday near Haiti and the Dominican Republic, where authorities warned residents to prepare for floods and landslides. Forecasters at the National Hurricane Center are also watching a disturbance in the Gulf of Mexico that has now an 80 percent chance of developing into a tropical disturbance or tropical storm before reaching the western Gulf coastline on Tuesday. Forecasters urge people along the coast in northern Mexico and Texas to monitor uh, the system, adding that tropical storm watches or warnings may soon be issued. Oh, and then there are another three or so storms lined up behind all of that coming off the coast of Africa and headed this way. As the Atlantic storm season suddenly kicks into high gear. Uh, But out west, 
A tropical storm last roared into California way back in September of 1939. At that time, it ripped apart train tracks. It tore houses from their foundations. It capsized many boats. Nearly 100 people were killed on both land and at sea. This time, thankfully, we were a little bit more prepared. Uh, but how much do we need to prepare for these kind of storms in the future out here in the West as the oceans continue to warm, more moisture gets uh, stored in warming air, and as weather patterns themselves may be changing? All thanks to, yes, man-made climate change. We've got just the person standing by who uh, who knows the answers to all of those questions as much as they can be known. Uh, and many other questions as well. Let's take a quick break here, and we'll be joined by Dr. Daniel Swain, climate scientist at UCLA and researcher at the National Center for Atmospheric Research and the Nature Conservancy of California. That's straight ahead, uh, along with a bit more news today. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Seems it never rains in Southern California. Ah, yes, the irony is thick. Uh, thick as the unusually uh, tropical humidity for, for some reason in the uh, southwest today from uh, California to Nevada to Arizona. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. California, of course, rarely sees landfalling tropical cyclones or hurricanes, with 1939 being the last time that such an event reportedly occurred in the Golden State. The only other known tropical cyclone to actually make coastal landfall in California was the 1858 San Diego hurricane, according to Weather West's Dr. Daniel Swain. That was all long before our storm naming system, even, and even before the modern National Weather Service came into being. It was in no small part due to that 1939 storm, which caught the state completely unaware, which actually helped lead to the formation of the Weather Service's critical national warning system and the National Hurricane Center. 
But Tropical Storm and then Hurricane and then post-Tropical Cyclone Hillary made history over the past several days, spinning up virtually out of nowhere from Tropical Storm to major Category 4 hurricane in just 24 hours before breaking all the rules and heading north into California rather than out west toward Hawaii, which is more typical for storms in the eastern Pacific. While most folks don't think about hurricanes in the Pacific, at least not on the West Coast, we've seen a very busy Pacific storm season so far this year. Whether you previously heard about it or not, it was, in fact, one of those major Pacific storms, Hurricane Dora, which blew by Hawaii hundreds of miles to the south a little over a week ago, but whose major wind gusts on its outer bands, in fact, helped quickly intensify the horrific and deadly wildfires on Maui. So are the record wildfires and storms and flooding and warming oceans and intense heat, etc., that we have seen week after week, month after month this summer in the U.S. and elsewhere around the globe a preview, a, a template for our climate-changed future? Or is that future here now? Or is the confluence of extreme weather events in recent months simply a coincidence, a string of bad luck? Joining us now with a few answers for a number of my dumb questions on that and much more is Dr. Daniel Swain. He is climate scientist in the Institute of Environment and Sustainability at UCLA. He also holds concurrent appointments as a research fellow uh, at the National Center for Atmospheric Research and as the California Climate Fellow at the National, I'm sorry, at the Nature Conservancy of California. He holds a PhD in Earth System Science from Stanford University, focusing on changing character, causes, and impacts of extreme weather and climate events on a warming planet. What warming planet? Dr. Swain, welcome to the broadcast, sir, and thank you for joining us on what I know is an insane day for folks like yourself. At least I'm hoping it is uh, insane, frankly. I'm hoping the mainstream corporate media is finally ringing your phone off the hook at this point. Daniel? Yes, well, this week in particular has been rather crazy, uh, but actually the whole summer has been uh, because this is, it would be one thing if this was just uh, the singular extreme event that everyone was interested in this year, but no, there have just been an almost uncountable number of them around the world this summer. Yeah, week after week, day after, it's been amazing. We've been uh, doing our best to cover them, but it is impossible to keep up. So I'm just curious, before we get into some of that, uh, uh, Dr. Swain, after all of these years studying our climate crisis and all the related phenomenon. Was Hillary the first hurricane or tropical storm in this case that you personally experienced where you lived? Well, so this was actually one event I also experienced from afar since these days I am uh, I'm physically located in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> you mentioned that that uh, National Center for Atmospheric Science uh, uh, research uh, appointment. That's uh -huh. that's where it is located in Boulder. But yes, I mean, there you know these these sorts of events with actual intact tropical cyclones uh, being located anywhere over California uh, are very rare historically. Uh -huh. And the last time uh, a, a, one a such system actually made landfall in California. 
Uh, and landfall actually means it has to come in from the ocean side. So mm-hmm. it can't sneak in from the south over the deserts through the mountains. Uh, but it has to make, come in from the coast side of California. That would have been uh, 1939, mm-hmm. as you mentioned. So mm-hmm. that's a long time ago. And there have been other systems uh, at or near tropical storm strength that have uh, sort of come in uh, the back door uh, over land uh, and affected Southern California with some heavy rainfall over the years. But to be clear, any of those sorts of events are rare. Uh, and so this is definitely, you know, uh, a historical event that we saw unfold this past weekend in Southern mm-hmm. California. Uh, I'll say. And how, how did I know you're well, you're in Boulder, uh, where you guys have had your own uh, share of extreme weather in recent years. Uh, what is your understanding how L.A. did, how Southern California did, San Diego uh, and those areas that had at least a few days heads up? Uh, to handle this otherwise wildly rare event. Um, What's your sense of of how the area uh, fared, this extreme weather? Well, I think your mileage may vary considerably depending on specifically where you were in Southern California. So ironically, despite the fact that this tropical storm came very close to actually being directly overhead San Diego and Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. these were not the parts of Southern California that were most severely affected, nor were they expected to be. Mm -hmm. So the interesting part about the sort of the media headlines leading up to the event and some of the, the, the discourse on social media was there were there were a lot of people who were very concerned about what was going to happen in downtown LA and the beaches of Orange County and sort of this urban corridor right along the coast. Uh-huh. Even even though the likelihood there was that this would have been you know a, a remarkable event with some heavy rain and probably some strong winds and some urban flooding and some modest uh, wind damage like trees down, power outages, kind of things like that. Uh, which is essentially what ended up happening in those areas. But that the real concern, the real use of that kind of alarming language from the Weather Service uh, and and from commentators like myself was regarding the flood risk in the mountains and deserts, which Mm -hmm. was uh, quite extreme. And some of that really did materialize. In fact, we're only now just starting to get some information and images on Mm -hmm. just how big the floods were. But most of the highways and interstates in that part of the state are shut down because they were either uh, covered by floodwaters, mud flows, or were washed out entirely in some places. So the road is not there anymore. And there were quite a lot of evacuations up along the Highway 395 corridor, Mm -hmm. along I-10 in the desert. And in up by Big Bear in the in the transverse ranges, uh, the San Gregorio Mountains, etc. So you know, big debris flows, big flash floods, mostly in the places that we thought they would be most likely, yep. and some flooding. You know, there, there's images of uh, Melrose uh, in LA uh, under a couple feet of water, so that's notable for sure. But largely, I think this played out pretty close to forecasts. You know, this was something that was pretty well predicted. It, it does seem as if it was. Now, as, as Hillary was rolling in, uh, you noted at your Weather West blog that its fast forward speed and intensity meant that the storm would not have time to completely spin down after making landfall and before it reached Southern California because it was moving so quickly. Not the wind speed, but the speed of the entire storm. Is that, in fact, what did end up happening? And isn't the fast forward speed, on the other hand, one of the things that actually made the storm perhaps less bad, unlike hurricane? Hurricane Harvey comes to mind in in Houston, which was a very slow-moving storm and just drenched the same area for days on end because it wouldn't move on. 
Yeah, I think there's some interesting things to talk about here because the situation, of course, along the West Coast, the Pacific Coast of North America is very different than the situation uh, in the Gulf of Mexico or even along the eastern seaboard. There's really three key things that prevent tropical storms or hurricanes from affecting California more often. It has happened, you know, a handful of times, but literally something you could count on one hand in the last century now, uh, even after Hillary. And the reason why that's the case is that even though Southern California has a latitude similar to that of, say, the South Carolina, which is a much warmer, more humid place. And as you know, the Carolinas are quite susceptible to hurricane landfalls. Cape Hatteras has seen some of the most hurricane landfalls of any place on Earth uh, over the years. So why do they see so many more on the same, at the same latitude in the Atlantic Basin than mm-hmm. we do here on the West Coast, uh, the Pacific Basin? Well, there's, you know, as I mentioned, there's three key reasons. The most obvious one is the ocean here is a lot colder. Uh, it, it's, it, warm tropical ocean waters are hurricane fuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's too cool, uh, you don't have any of that hurricane fuel. It's an empty gas tank for storms uh, that manage to get close to California. The second reason is that you tend to have prevailing easterly winds in the tropics, meaning winds that blow from east to west. And as you mentioned earlier, push those storms in the Pacific Basin westward out to the open ocean towards Hawaii. Of course, in the Atlantic, if you push storms westward from the Atlantic, you're pushing them towards the continent, toward Mm -hmm. the east coast into the Gulf of Mexico. And then that last factor, that third factor that keeps those kind of storms away from California most of the time is the fact we just have a really hostile atmosphere for tropical cyclones. It's too dry. It's too stable. So you have no fuel, since the oceans aren't warm enough, mm. the winds usually push the storms away, and then anything that does make it here gets clobbered by the atmosphere, which just wants to sort of dissipate those storms. What happened this time is the, uh, the those easterly winds that normally keep those storms out over the open ocean weren't present, and we had a very rare combination of very strong, record-breaking high pressure over mm-hmm. the center of the continent, a low pressure to the west of California, and that sort of acted as a funnel to draw this storm up northward directly over Southern California. So that combined with some unusually warm ocean temperatures off the coast of Mexico uh, allowed this very unusual event to unfold. Well, it's obviously unusual now. I'm wondering how unusual it will be in the future. E&E's Climate Wire uh, reports that, as you note, uh, Dr. Swain, the most important factor in this storm as it moved up north into the U.S. versus out to sea, as would normally be expected with storms like this, is that the region's typical easterly winds have temporarily vanished. Now, we've spoken on this program with Dr. Michael Mann and others a number of times about changes uh, that we're beginning to see in actual global climate and weather patterns thanks to climate change. Are we sure that the disappearance of those uh, easterly winds that normally sort of protect the East Coast, are we sure that that is temporary? And why would they disappear in the first place this year? Well, to be clear, they haven't disappeared this whole year. This is just a, there's just a few days where they're not uh, mm-hmm. present over the eastern Pacific. So just a long enough window for this storm to sneak, sneak northward. So let uh-huh. me break this down a bit. Yeah. There's sort of three pieces in terms of the, the climate change connection question here. Uh, one is the question of, well, first of all, I think the most important piece and also the clearest answer, so I'll start with that one, yeah. is this was fundamentally an extreme precipitation event. So yes, it 
was windy, but it, you know, there was no catastrophic wind damage. It was within the range of winds we see every couple of years in Southern California. The big deal was this extreme summer rainfall event mm-hmm. associated with this tropical storm. That's where most of the damages have come from. And that's been true in the past as well. When we have seen these tropical events in California in the sort of the off season, it's the rainfall that gets us and the flooding in the mountains and the deserts and things like that. And we know in a warming climate that the uh, the likelihood and the intensity of extreme precipitation events uh, goes up very quickly, in fact, exponentially with warming. So this is something uh, people talk about uh, breaking points and tipping points and mm-hmm. thresholds and exponential growth. One of the things that truly is exponential uh, in the in the warming climate is the atmosphere's capacity to hold water vapor. And this in ter- turns out gets us into trouble in two dimensions. One, when it's dry, that atmosphere is thirstier and it mm. tends to dr- uh, extract water from the landscape more quickly. Mm. That's a problem for droughts and wildfires on the one hand. But in the present instance, where we have a, a strong, rare tropical storm over Southern California in August, what it means is that we have an increased ability of the atmosphere to produce extreme precipitation. So the ceiling on how intense precipitation can become rises by around 7% per degree centigrade of warming or 7% per uh, degree and a half or so Fahrenheit of warming. And that's an exponential process. It's like interest uh, in, in the money in the bank, although very few of us uh, get to benefit from 7% interest in a checking account. But that's what the atmosphere is doing mm. when it comes to water vapor. And so from the perspective of an extreme precipitation event, we shattered a lot of rainfall records yesterday all across Southern California for the summer months. Mm-hmm. We saw the wet, the moistest air mass, so the air mass with the moist, most moisture in it ever observed at some locations in Southern California and Southern Nevada. And we know with great certainty that the likelihood of seeing extreme precipitation events, whether or not they're associated with tropical cyclones, is going up in a warming world. So that's piece one. Mm-hmm. The second piece here has to do with the track itself. As you mentioned, uh, there are a few historical instances of tracks like this, but not very many. You can count them on one hand. So this was definitely a rare event. Uh, And the fact that this sort of went right up the coast between San Diego and L.A. and ended up inland in California as a tropical storm, I think this is the northwesternmost tropical storm I think we've observed in California history. So that definitely is a historic moment there. The answer there, though, in terms of climate change is a little bit less clear. Uh, We don't know yet if California will become uh, somewhat more susceptible to events like this. But let me speculate. The reason why I'm speculating is no one's really done the research on this yet. There are really (laughs) no studies to point to. Because it's so rare and unusual that nobody's really looking at it? It's kind of sufficiently an edge case that Uh I just don't think anybody has has looked at this. But here's my thinking. So going on a little bit on a limb as a meteorologist and climate scientist, I mentioned those three barriers, the three reasons why California doesn't really see more uh, tropical storm activity. The ocean's too cold. You have those easterly winds, which essentially direct storms out to sea. And the atmosphere dislikes to shred storms. It's too dry and too stable. Mm -hmm. Of those three barriers, there's one that's clearly going to weaken a bit in a warming climate. And that's the fact that the oceans are going to get warmer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, there's essentially a 0% chance we're ever going to see a strengthening hurricane off the Santa Monica Pier or something. The ocean's just aren't anywhere near as warm as they'd need to be. So even if the few degrees warmer, they're still not uh, warm enough for that. However, you know, as you mentioned, one of the things that happened this week was that Hurricane Hillary, uh, at, at its peak, rapidly intensified from yeah. a tropical storm into a very powerful hurricane. Four, uh, category four, on, again, the scale only goes to five. So that's four out of five. Very intense hurricane. Uh, 
over the open ocean to the uh, west of Mexico. That ocean was between two and four degrees centigrade warmer than it usually was. That's a large, so that's like, you know, five, six plus degrees Fahrenheit warmer than usual. It's, that's a big, uh, that's a big jump mm -hmm. in ocean temperatures in that region. That probably helped Hillary intensify as rapidly as it did, because again, those warm oceans are hurricane fuel. And so if the ocean temperatures in these formation regions can, uh, are more conducive to having these rapidly intensifying hurricanes that attain category four or five status, it means that if we ever do get these unusual wind patterns that we have right now that draw these storms northward over California, which again is rare, but not unheard of, they're going to be more likely to reach here potentially at tropical storm strength or greater simply because, uh, not because they're intensifying as they come near the coast, but instead they're weakening less quickly uh, potentially than they used to, which might increase the likelihood of seeing events like this. So that is me, again, going out on a limb a little bit. But the one thing that clearly will change is the oceans are warming. Yeah. And we don't know necessarily if these wind patterns will change in a way that might favor it as well. That's sort of a secondary hypothesis. And I know you mentioned Mike, Mike Mann's work mm -hmm. on this. Uh, you know, there is a record-breaking high-pressure system over the center of the continent right now. Um, that is a major player here. And there are some hypotheses that, at least in the summer months in the Northern Hemisphere, that certain things that are happening with the jet stream might make the persistence of those kinds of big uh, massive heat domes uh, that get stuck in place during the summer months uh, more common. That's sort of at the cutting edge of climate science. You know, some of uh, Michael Mann's own work suggests this, and there is some supporting evidence, but, uh, you know, there are other, other studies that are a little more equivocal. So we don't know yet so much about those winds. But let me say this. If that ends up being correct, it's going to be a pretty big deal, not just for this edge case of tropical storms in California. It might mm -hmm. affect those for sure, but it's really going to affect the massive summer heat waves uh, and, you know, that, that we've been seeing more and more of uh, in recent years. And, you know, this year has not been a particularly hot year in California, thankfully, but it has been almost everywhere else in the world. California has been kind of a big outlier in that yeah. sense. So. You know, there's just a lot going on this year, and there are definitely links to climate change with much of it. Some of them are a little bit more equivocal than others. Uh, but I think, you know, we're all living in the context of a changed climate. It 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 is though it, it is that uh, that that changing or possibly uh, changing jet stream that uh, Michael Mann talks about. That as you said, there is zero degree chance of a hurricane forming off of the Santa Monica Pier. Uh, I've written that down, Doctor Daniel Swain, August uh, whatever we are of uh, 2023. Uh, because boy, I hope you're right. I hope things don't change that much. That that could happen. But at this point. I, I, Seems like anything could uh, happen of late. Uh, there are, in the meantime, about four storms, uh, four, maybe five, depending on how you count them, uh, lined up across the Atlantic heading this way uh, from Africa. Uh, should we be concerned about those? And will the increased El Nino uh, wind shear that tends to decrease storms in the Pacific, whereas I think it, uh, the, the, the wind shear decreases I'm sorry, in the Atlantic, whereas it decreases in the Pacific. So will that uh, change in the wind shear play a role in helping to break up those four storms headed this way? Uh, or do we need to be concerned as they get closer to the uh, continental U.S.? Well, I guess it depends a little bit on uh, who we is in this context. Uh, does California need to worry about them? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I agree on that but, one, uh, yeah. 
but there's folks, uh, you know, in, in the Caribbean or in the Gulf of Mexico or the Eastern Seaboard. Yeah. Uh, that's a different question. And, you know, these, uh, it's a little too early to know, uh, you know, these are all storms that have yet to form, but the Hurricane Center has highlighted quite a, the, the map of their potential storm development regions in the Atlantic right now. It looks like a, uh, I don't know exactly what the good right analogy would be, but there's a lot of regions. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of potential storms forming. Uh, the conga line of potential hurricanes, right. if you will, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, this is, we're getting closer to the peak of Atlantic hurricane season. Usually that happens in September. So it happens, it peaks late uh, and we're getting closer uh, as, so we're going to be nicely into late August, early September for these storms. And that's right when you'd expect it to be. Mm. Uh, so uh, what's going on this year, of course, is, well, we have two big things happening. One is a, a strong uh, El Nino event is developing, mm. not just any old El Nino, but a particularly strong one appears to be well underway now. That does usually tend to suppress the Atlantic hurricane season, as you mentioned, because of increased vertical wind shear, which is unfavorable. It tends to tear tropical storms and hurricanes apart. However, the this year... We also have record warm ocean temperatures. So remember that interaction between the, the climate change component and these natural variations. El Nino is essentially a natural variation, uh-huh. but of course the long-term warming trend of the oceans is not. That is climate change. The problem is this year is kind of confounded seasonal predictions for Atlantic hurricanes because on the one hand, El Nino should you know induce this wind shear to tear storms apart. But on the other hand, there is a much larger reservoir of potential hurricane fuel available than ever before mm. in the Atlantic. So if any of those storms can sneak through and not get torn apart by the shear, then watch out because they have a greater than usual likelihood of being strong storms. So right now, the oceans are still warmer than average, and it looks like the shear for the next week or so is apparently low enough that we might see some storm development. Oh, so so it's a, it's a bit of a mixed picture, but it just points to the complication of making some of these predictions in a warming climate where, you know, we've never had the combination of record warm oceans plus mm-hmm. very strong developing El Nino event in recorded history. Uh, uh, Dr. Daniel Swain, I know I got to let you go here, uh, but let me see if I can fit in one or two more very quickly. We, uh, you know, as we end this, this summer has been just insane as far as the climate goes, major storms flooding from the U S Northeast to now the U S Southwest to China and Europe following on back to back atmospheric, you know, river storms out here in California in the, uh, in the spring record heat across much of the South U S South parts of the West coast, horrific record wildfires across all of Canada pretty much and of course now out on Maui and of course hot tub like uh, ocean temperatures that you're talking about off the uh, the coast of Florida and so forth just to name a few events in recent weeks this summer uh, you know we we've been hearing quite a bit from scientists over the past months really a uh, year, maybe past several years, in fact, that the climate crisis is so far shaping up to be worse than previously predicted as far as how quickly it is getting worse. Where are we on that scale for you as you see it in your work? Is, is this about what you had predicted? Are we in worse shape at this point than you thought we would be? Better shape? Is there any way to quantify that? I think there's two ways of looking at this, uh, and it's, it's, it's worth quickly exploring both. One is that 
if the question is, has the earth warmed more than we thought it would by this point, then the answer is no. In fact, we're right exactly almost to the nose on the dot of the median of predictions about mm. how much the earth would have warmed by circa 2023. So the good news is we're not dramatic warming dramatically more than we thought we would, uh, which means that our, for better or for worse, you know, our predictions, at least about global temperature, are largely on target. However, that's sort of where the good news ends, because I think it is fair to say that the impacts of the warming that we have seen, even though that warming is roughly in line with what we thought we'd see by this point, have been worse, I think, uh, than had been predicted. And that, in that extends to the uh, impacts of increasing extreme weather events in many cases. I think we've, we did historically underestimate the degree to which that was going to disrupt ecosystems, uh, ecologies, and uh, human systems, cities, uh, populations all around the world. So, you know, one of the reasons for that, I think, is that we, you know, humans tend to think in linear terms. And the thing is, the warming itself, the planetary warming, the 1.3 or 1.4 degrees Celsius or so of global mean warming we've seen so far, has largely been linear. But a lot of the atmospheric processes that are relevant to extremes, that water vapor holding capacity of the atmosphere I mentioned, which is an exponential increase with linear warming, mm -hmm. that is driving a lot of the impacts, the droughts, the floods, the wildfires. And so in that sense, this linear warming, we know scientifically, just from the way physics and thermodynamics work, we've known this for over a century, that that part of the process would be exponential. But I'm just not fully sure we were we had come to terms with what that actually meant for extreme events and for the world that we live in. And so I think that is a fair statement as long as we're talking about the impacts of climate change that we've observed and extreme events in particular. So, no, we're not seeing more warming. We're not seeing, you know, I, I see folks worried that, that we're seeing runaway warming or something. That isn't happening, and yet I don't personally or professionally find that very reassuring, given that uh, we're continuing to warm on this uh, this linear this roughly linear track. But even if it stays relatively linear, the impacts won't be. Right, uh, and we're, we're starting to see things. You know, the limits of our adaptability already, and it's only going to get harder with additional warming because these processes again. The fact that the water vapor holding capacity of the atmosphere is exponential with warming means that the next degree of warming is going to bring about bigger changes than the last degree. Hmm. So saying it's it's not worse than we thought is not necessarily a, a very encouraging thing at this point. Uh, Dr. Daniel Swain, climate, sci uh, climate scientist at the Institute of in the Environment and Sustainability at the University of California in L.A., He's also working at the National Center for Atmospheric Research and as a climate fellow at the Nature Conservancy of California. You can follow, you can and should follow his blog at weatherwest.com. You can find him on the Twitters at weather underscore west. And though we didn't have time to talk about it this time, maybe next time uh, he's kind enough to join us, we can discuss his extreme weather and climate page a day calendar which is now available for 2024 at a discount, which is right since we're, you know, more than halfway through, but still filled with uh, all sorts of important information. Dr. Daniel Swain, greatly uh, appreciate you joining us on this uh, very busy day. We'll try to call you on a less busy day next time. All right. Thank you. Thank you.
A lot of information there. Oh, yes. Uh, a dense conversation <laughs> in a good way, I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, as you, uh, we, we didn't, I actually, I wanted to ask him about uh, the earthquake. I know. We had a friend uh, who contacted us from out of town as the uh, storm was rolling in, and he said, oh, uh, be careful about earthquakes. And I'm not sure why that is. I think he, his suggestion was the wa- water in the aquifers. Aquifers. Aquifers refills. I'm not and, exactly sure yeah. what the mechanism is behind that um, that concept. I mean, I've heard other people have, have mentioned it as yeah. well, but I don't understand how that would actually work. And if it didn't happen during the winter storms that we had and earthquakes. Which and, we had huge rain. Right. Yeah, you wouldn't think it would happen now. And yet... About an hour into the storm, the storm was barely even on shore. Suddenly we get a 5.1 earthquake in Ojai. I should note, as I understand, there was no uh, great damage. There was a lot of uh, aftershocks and foreshocks. Right, but the there, uh, but, but apparently officials say that there were no major injuries or uh, casualties or major damage that was from that. But it was just the, hurri- the hurricane, I think. The hurricane what- <laughs> was what everybody used. But yeah, when that came in, because I, you know, when he originally said hey be careful there could be an earthquake i was like yeah whatever shut up <laughs> and then an hour in 5.1 earthquake i know it seemed like it was everything everywhere all at once way too much but yep. i think one thing that the earthquake happening in the middle of an historic storm that you know hasn't happened in what 80 something years mm-hmm. that that is a sign of how we really need to make sure that we are prepared for not just one disaster happening but multiple disasters happening at the same time um you know that that's the biggest takeaway for me from all of this that uh, preparation and it's planning like matter it's like you're rooting for more than one disaster <laughs> at the no, same time no i'm not i really am not but i am rooting for preparation because i think that that was the the, the big uh, message that came out of the press conference today, which was, you know, yeah, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. We made it through just fine on what we received so far in L.A. County and L.A. City. But that, you know, that kind of preparation, that kind of interagency coordination where they were coordinated at the local level, mm-hmm. the county level, the state level, yeah. and the federal government level is also sending in help and FEMA, you know, an emergency uh, designation and all of that to release more funding and uh, more materials to be able to mount this emergency response and the long-term rebuilding process for people that have had damages and uh, damages to our infrastructure as well. And I got to say, speaking of infrastructure, going back through, uh, you know, uh, Jerry Brown's uh, uh, terms of office, they were doing California City. California was doing a lot of building, a lot of infrastructure improvements, building, uh, shoring up dams, building uh, new uh, reservoirs. reservoirs, Thank you. New reservoirs, water catchment, groundwater recharge to help store all that water. Correct. And because back when they were doing it, we were in the middle of a multi-year drought and I was seeing all of this building going on for all of these reservoirs thinking, boy, talk about wishful thinking. Uh, but sure enough, I'm glad those are in place. I don't even know if they're all done. There was so much of that building going on, but uh, I know a lot of them are done, and I suspect that made a big difference, not just with the winter storms or the spring storms that we had, one atmospheric river after another, but then Hurricane Hillary blows into town. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a good idea to invest in infrastructure, it seems. 
It is indeed. And I think that it also shows how we really do need to invest, not just, you know, in these in these bursts of funding, but we need to invest over time in maintenance. A lot of deferred maintenance, not just in mm-hmm. California, yeah. but around the country. You know, we have deteriorating roads and bridges. Those things are being slowly addressed, you know, through federal funding from the Infrastructure uh, Reduction Act and other uh, the federal. In- the, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act and the Inflation Reduction Act. That's what I was meaning. That's Thank what you, you. Meant. That's you what I meant to them say. I and did. gave them both a better name, to be <laughs> That's frank. That's true. Um, but I think it does show that we really do have to prepare now and build for the 21st century extremes that we are going to be seeing. Because our infrastructure was built for the average weather, the average climate of the 20th century, and we are no longer in that climate right now. We are we have to build for the extremes that are coming now in the mm-hmm. 21st century because basically this is what 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels looks like. We're not there permanently this right now. This is what now. we've been trying to avoid through right. the Paris uh, Treaty climate and treaty so and all of that, yeah. and that's the that's the target to avoid going above that permanently. This year is probably going to be an incursion to give us a preview of what that's going to look like, and it I think is pretty scary. And it shows we really need to get to work on cutting emissions and building up infrastructure resilience. And speaking of uh, two more than one disaster at once, uh, given that the storm out here in the West sucked up. Much of the media attention, understandably, over the last uh, couple of days. I want to make sure that we don't forget about Hawaii, uh, where the county's mayor offered a somewhat grim update to start the week. Actually tried to put a, uh, a, a bit of a smile on this otherwise grim news. A total now of 850 people are still missing in connection with the mm. Deadly wildfires that devastated Maui uh, just over a week ago. In an overnight update posted to Facebook, Maui County Mayor Richard Bisson said there were now 850 people officially believed to be missing. He also noted at least 114 people now are confirmed to have died in the wildfires, the deadliest in modern U.S. history. Bisson said the number of missing people was the result of the FBI combining and refining various lists of of missing people. Uh, He added, we are, quote, we are both saddened and relieved about these numbers. He says there's positive news in this number. Explaining, uh, quote, because when this process began, the missing person list contained over 2,000 names, but that more than 1,285 people have been located safe. While the number of people initially feared missing was more than 2,000, as Bisson noted, it dropped as cell phone communications were restored and people were able to make contact with their loved ones. But, boy, it's hard to get too excited about 850 still missing people arriving at an accurate uh, count, a death count, in uh, mass casualty disasters apparently can, well, we've seen this before, uh, it can take months or even years, if ever. According to researchers and forensic anthropologists, Lynn Goodman, an epidemiologist at George Washington University, said that they are still trying to take stock of who was in the area during the fire and therefore who are missing. Goldman studied the death toll after Hurricane Maria struck Puerto Rico back in 2017, where we had really bad, really unreliable numbers and have them to this day. She notes the uh, the death toll number is always provi- provisional 
in a way. She says, I assume people won't stop trying to find remains and the work will take a very, very long time. On Friday, the FBI announced the opening of a site where people could provide DNA samples that would be matched with the uh, remains that they have already that have already been found in a bid to help expedite the process of identifying victims. So we'll continue to keep our eyes on that. Uh, it is yet another dark day on uh, on Maui, no matter how much the mayor tries to uh, spin it positively. And I certainly understand his his need to do so. But. Um, So dark day on Maui, much of the southwest continues to hold its breath. Still, that flooding will not get too far out of control from the massive amount of moisture in the air from Hurricane Hillary or uh, let's see, Tropical Storm Hillary, then Hurricane Hillary, then post-Tropical Cyclone (laughs) Hillary. Right. Um, Still watching for flooding and mudslides, but that's our world, I guess, in uh, mid to late August 2023. I suspect we will be back to politics. <laughs> and now, actually, I'm thinking to myself, hopefully we're back to politics tomorrow. Right, because it's much more um, interesting, I think, for me to talk about politics than to talk about disasters. I well, really it's, would prefer there aren't any more yeah, extreme weather disasters. It's in interesting country. for me to talk about disasters, but it's a little too interesting. I don't need to be that interested, right. uh, frankly. Uh, So, yeah, uh, we'll see. Hopefully, politics will return tomorrow to the broadcast, but we will see. There's also uh, a Republican debate coming up as well. We got our first GOP presidential debate coming up this week. And Donald Trump made clear over the weekend that he is too much of a coward to show up for it. (laughs) He's just, he ain't coming. He says, and he he suggested he wouldn't come to any of the other primary uh, uh, Republican primary debates either. Because did I mention he's a coward? And just before airtime, uh, the news broke that uh, Trump's attorneys and law enforcement apparently uh, uh, struck an agreement with officials in Fulton County, Georgia. They have agreed to a two hundred thousand dollar bond for the former president and some other conditions uh, for his. Uh, his uh, conditions for his post-surrender release in his fourth felony indictment of the summer as he remains the favorite candidate of a majority of Republican Party primary voters, according to all polling to date. Polling uh, that hasn't really changed all that much, at least not as far as he is concerned, That even though he is now facing 91 criminal felony charges as he runs for a second term in office and the Republicans think that's great, at least the Republicans who vote in the primaries, at least the Republicans who vote in the primaries who speak to pollsters. I'm really hoping there are still some Republicans left out there who are willing to vote in the primaries who are not going to vote for this guy who is facing 91 criminal counts. That seems like a downside for a president of the United States, for a nominee for the party. 
Seems like it should be a disqualifier, perhaps. And also, it'll be interesting to get to the Republican debate this week in Milwaukee to see if there are any questions about climate change, any questions about these extreme weather disasters we've been having. If the the corporate media... Of course there won't be. It's on Fox News, so you're right. Of course there won't be. Not only is it on Fox News, it's on Fox News and it's a bunch of Republicans. So, of course there won't be. Maybe they'll throw in something about Hillary. Someone's going to make a bad Hillary joke. Like, you know, oh, uh, Hurricane Hillary rolled into California and destroyed 30,000 emails. That'll that sort of thing. That's going to suffice for their talk about climate in the Republican (laughs) presidential debate missing Donald Trump and on Fox News. Uh, and, And no, by the way, Donald Trump did not show up for that promised news conference at 11 a.m., Monday morning in Bedminster, New Jersey, as he had promised last week to reveal a, quote, large, complex, detailed, but irrefutable report on the, that was all caps, on the presidential election fraud, which took place in Georgia, that he uh, had promised would be, quote, conclusive, (laughs) and that would offer him, quote, complete exoneration. As it turns out, he changed his mind. Never mind. Never mind about all of that exoneration and that report. I am starting to wonder if he has any such report at all. Too cynical? (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, got to get out. Uh, My thanks to uh, Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks to Wendell Handy back at KPFK Central. Thanks, Wendell. And thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other that we have ever done, in our uh, lives, you can download it for free at bradblog.com. Oh, yes. Thanks to our guest, Dr. Daniel Swain oh, yes. of UCLA and the National Center for Atmospheric Research. Yes. Thank you, thanks. Dr. Swain. Now I'm all confused. I'm completely <laughs> out of order. Uh, you can download the show at bradblog.com. Ah, yes. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And you will find me on the Facebooks, Mastodons, and site formerly known as Twitter, at The Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you back here, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. You're listening to The Bradcast. We are 100% listener-supported, thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1893. That was the day that workers' rights and women's rights activist and anarchist Emma Goldman gave a speech in New York City. Emma Goldman was born in what is today Lithuania. She came to New York in 1885, where she built a reputation as a powerful speaker. In New York, she addressed a crowd of between three and 4,000 unemployed workers in Union Square. The country was at the beginning of a depression that would sweep across the nation. Working families were finding it harder and harder to put food on the table. By the end of 1893, unemployment would soar to nearly 20%. Undercover agents at the rally reported that Emma had urged the crowd to take bread from the capitalists, quote, by force. Goldman recounted saying, quote, 
Well then, demonstrate before the palaces of the rich. Demand work. If they do not give you work, demand bread. If they deny you both, take bread. Ten days later, Emma was arrested in Philadelphia for her comments at the New York rally. She was sentenced to one year in prison. After she was released, Emma traveled to Vienna to study medicine. She returned to the United States to continue her lectures on workers and women's rights. She spoke out about the need for women to have access to contraception, an opinion that could arouse a backlash at the time. Emma was arrested multiple times for daring to speak out on controversial issues. In 1919, during the height of the Red Scare anti-communist hysteria, Emma Goldman was deported to the Soviet Union. Emma was a courageous defender of free speech, often called the most dangerous woman in America. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. Hi, Truth Seekers. It's Mike Malloy. I want you to join me weeknights at 9 p.m. in the East, 6 p.m. in the West on the Progressive Voices Network for three hours of fearless fun and frivolity that's not afraid to tackle the neoconservative noise machine. We offer insight and analysis on topics that matter most to you, the American citizen, not the corporations. In fact, we have no corporate sponsors, and that means we can deliver the unvarnished, uncensored truth on the news of the day. With election season fast approaching, you will soon be bombarded with confusing, mostly conservative propaganda designed to lull you into a coma. So you will rubber stamp the candidate the corporate media decides you want. You deserve better. My program will make you think, but I will never tell you what to think. Listen for yourself. The Mike Malloy Show, weeknights on the Progressive Voices Network. Always progressive, always on. Keep it lit. And tell your friends.